What is what is this? Okay, you have to try this, Lauren. What? It's literally so good. What? Try this juice. Oh shoot, yeah. Whoa. Okay. You'd never guess what it's called. This what? one is called Joy. Stop. There's, there's a bottle of goodness. Stop. There's a bottle of goodness in the fridge too. <laughs> Hi. You're listening to a Jew and a Gentile. I'm Lauren Burns. And I'm Hanin Razouk. Guess who's the Jew? An ancient business, a modern piece of glasswork. Down on the corner that you walk each day in passing. Hi, welcome to episode one. Um, as we promised, we're going to start each episode with a Natishkeet of the week. I say it like a New Yorker, Bubby. Lauren. <laughs> I say Natishkeet like a total Polsky. Natishkeet. Like, I just sound like I'm just like coming out of Poland. <laughs> but the funny thing is, like, that is kind of how Yiddish works. It's like yeah. there's so much to the actual sound of the word that adds to the meaning of it. So it's funny because it can change within different contexts of how you say it. So needless to say, Natishkeet is a silly sort of everyday um, common thing. So this week we are going to be plugging our friends Aaron and Danielle. They started a juice company called Much Fruit, um, where half of the proceeds go to unreached people groups, groups that haven't heard the good news of the gospel. Groups that do not have um, the Bible translated in their language. And so, yeah, we just thought this was such a beautiful business and wanted to plug them. The title of the company was inspired by um, John 15, uh, 5 and 8. But I bought the juice myself. I think it's absolutely great. So you guys should do the same. Each juice is named after a fruit of the spirit. So far, they have joy, goodness, and self-control. Um, like Anita said, she bought three this week and they were gone in like a day. So um, they are delicious. Yeah, pretty good. We think Aaron and Danielle are pretty saintly. And as we've reflected on their company this week, Hanita and I were just joking about how unsaintly <laughs> we are yeah. and how if we were to start a company, it would probably be something along the lines of cookies from hell. <laughs> Essentially, this company would be um, where we sell cookies named after the seven deadly sins. If you're interested in this company, please message us and we'll think about actually starting it. But, but if you're interested in their company, <laughs> all of their information will also be below in our podcast notes. So thanks, guys. Awesome. So as we promised, we're going to start dissecting a cultural artifact. The artifact this week we are talking about is The Social Dilemma. It's a Netflix documentary released September 9th, so about a month ago, that poses the question, what are consequences of humanity's growing dependence on social media? This is such a relevant question. Um, if you use social media, you understand kind of the addictive tendencies that we all joke about. If you don't use social media, Google actually has some of those addictive tendencies as well. Um, in a jarring quote from Edward Tuft of Yale University, he says, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. And so that's kind of the intro of the film. Yeah, this film was directed by Jeff Orlowski and features um, a lot of different people, computer scientists, social media creators, Ivy League professors of technology and psychology, etc. One of the main actors and characters in this film is Tristan Harris. He is known as the conscience of Silicon Valley. They also have American psychologist Jonathan Haidt in this film, as well as Harvard University professor of business Shoshana Zuboff. So essentially, um, 
the founders of the social media platforms who were a lot of the people talking in this social dilemma explained the original business model of social media platforms. Um, it started with the idea of connecting people. And so when you have a business, you want people to use your product because you want to make money. But as we all know, with social media platforms, you don't pay for an Instagram account. You don't pay for a Facebook account. Um, and in order for these platforms to monetize, they hired advertisers to broadcast their products on these social media sites. Um, so essentially, those advertisers paid um, the social media platforms for access to their users' search histories, preferences, recorded online behaviors, etc. So with this information, advertisers have the ability to create different algorithms um, based on social media users' opinions and preferences. And essentially, that just creates cycles of confirmation bias and addiction. Yeah. Within the film, they have some pretty captivating quotes. And one of them um, from The Social Dilemma is, if you are not paying for the product, then you are the product. And even more specifically, um, Jaron Lehner says, it is the gradual, slight, and perceptible change in our own behavior and perception that is the product. Yeah. Pretty yeah. scary stuff. Exactly. So kind of a concrete example of this would be, think of Facebook. Um, if you have a track record of looking for news sources that are particularly left-leaning, if you go on your Facebook account, um, news sources that will pop up for you are also news sources that are left-leaning. And so when we're asked the question, why do you think today is so polarized? Why are people coming from such different ends of the political spectrum that can't seem to agree on really anything? Um, a lot of that lies within the fact that advertisers are giving people two different doses of reality. And so based on your search history and your preferences and kind of your political leanings that they've investigated um, based on your um, activity on social media, they continue to feed you news sources um, that are aligned with your party's agenda. So you only see things through, honestly, that like one lens. Yeah. And so essentially the, the film points out that this market and this economy of exchange of your attention for advertisements um, in terms of accruing money through that. Shoshana Zuboff says that those markets have produced the trillions of dollars that have made the internet companies the richest companies in the history of humanity. Um, that's pretty, pretty jarring and distinct, really. Yeah. So essentially, if we're thinking economically, these companies are doing great. They have yeah. tons of users. They're drawing more and more every day. Um, but as the film kind of outlines, now the founders are realizing that they've essentially kind of created a Frankenstein. And so they list several real world problems um, that we're interacting with, honestly, because of social media. Yeah. One of the most heavy is um, a CDC report that said that the suicide rates in preteen girls has gone up 178% in yeah. the past decade, and that that is directly linked to the influence of social media and technology. Yeah. Additionally, the New York Times found that the number of countries with political disinformation campaigns, um, meaning fake news, on social media doubled in the past two years. Yeah, along with that, 64% of the people who joined extremist groups on Facebook did so because the algorithm steered them there. And that is a source from Facebook themselves. They actually, yeah. that's an internal Facebook report from 2018. Yeah. 
Essentially, the social dilemma is kind of um, asking us watchers to take the veil off. So the sites that we can so easily access through our smartphones and everything, um, they're a little bit more addicting and a little bit more harmful than I think that we initially realize. Mm. And a lot more than I think we are willing to acknowledge as well. Exactly. Wow. So that was just honestly quite a lot to unpack. (laughs) We've now watched this film two times. It hit us I hit me specifically pretty hard the first time. What about you? Yeah, I think even more so the first time. I think there's more of the emotional reaction. Yeah, yeah. totally. So yeah, on this podcast, after we discuss our cultural artifact, we ask the question how it's a vessel of God's grace. Essentially, our answer for that is that through the social dilemma, we understand that God's made us finite and that human beings being finite, having limits and boundaries is actually a really good thing. So before we get too much into that, we kind of wanted to process a couple things. First, how we individually responded where we're at with social media, and then three observations that we've made about how our own spheres kind of interact with social media themselves. So to start, Hanim doesn't have social media. You got rid of it when you were 16, right? Yeah, when I was 16. So it's been about four years now that I haven't had it. So it was pretty interesting. I think just watching this film was such a confirmation in a lot of ways of all the reasons that I did get rid of it. I think one of the main reasons that it is was changing the way that I see my relationships and the way that I see people. For a very concrete example, I think you open up, say, Instagram on your phone, and then all of a sudden I see a picture of Lauren or that Lauren just posted, I think, on her story. Is it called story? Yeah, it's called story. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm a grandma. Um, and... And then all of a sudden, my um, interaction with Lauren is is almost feels like with a, a character. It's like I'm playing a game, and so I'm interacting with virtual Lauren, and then I also interact with real-life Lauren. Mm-hmm. And I think I just got to a point where I was realizing how much it was altering my perception of people individually, and then yeah. also just in general of my relationships. And it's hard to interact with more than one Lauren, so <laughs> I understand. One is I, enough. One is enough. <laughs> one is far more than enough. So I think it was honestly, yeah. It was just me coming to a place of realizing I just wanted to interact with one of each person I know, and I wanted everyone to interact with just one of me. I didn't want there to be a duplicity of me. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. For you, what is what is sort of your experience with social media? What are your thoughts towards it? Um, totally. So I have an Instagram. I have a Facebook. I keep my social media accounts for two reasons primarily. One is that I like to stay in touch with people. So last semester I studied in Washington, D.C. And quite honestly, I don't know when I'm going to see those people again. It's just really nice to be able to know that there's a platform that I can keep in touch with people that I wouldn't naturally run into. So that's one reason. Um, And then secondly, I like the aesthetics of it. And so it's just a fun relief for me, honestly, to be able to go online and look at a beautiful picture. Humans are really drawn to beauty and that totally makes sense why I like it. Do you feel like digging a little deeper there, there might be something there a little bit more personal in terms of why um, you would hesitate to deleting it? Yeah, I mean, totally. So my relationship with Instagram has been kind of tumultuous. It's felt like 
like an off and on again relationship where like I will have Instagram on my phone for let's say a day or two and then I will delete it for three weeks and then during those three weeks somehow I get lonely or anxious or something and I re-download the app just to make sure that I'm not missing out on anything and then I'm on the app and I'm kind of like why the heck am I on this like it's fun but I don't feel super great after I'm done and then I delete it again. And so I've kind of just, honestly, especially after watching this film, I was like, this is kind of an addictive tendency. And so as I was just digging more into, why don't I just delete it? What is the check in my spirit that keeps me from not deleting this app? And this just sounds super honest. It is super honest and kind of deep, but I just don't want to be forgotten. Like I want to matter. And I'm kind of afraid that if I delete my account, people won't remember me. Yeah. And just having the fear of being irrelevant. And I don't think anyone wants to be irrelevant, but when you play the game of of trying to earn your relevance, the idea of saying no to your idea of relevance, which is posting and making sure people are keeping up with you, that's a scary thought. Yeah. And I think that's so valid and that's so natural. I think that's a lot of why people are on social media and might even be a subconscious reason, actually. But I think what's interesting is like I don't have it and I can say from not having it that I don't feel forgotten, that in all the ways that I want to be remembered, I am remembered by people who are going to not forget me best. Uh, And that is my closest friends and family and maybe other acquaintances who might think of me randomly, but I don't have a need for them to even think of me other than honestly vanity or self-glory from my perspective. Totally. All right. So that's kind of where Hanine and I are at personally with our social media histories, essentially. (laughs) And now we're going to outline three different observations that we have about our own social worlds and how we interact with social media. So Hanin's going to take the first point. Yeah, I think the first observation that we made is that as humans, we have an obsession with wanting to know things about people, wanting to know in some ways more than we probably should or even can know about people. For example, stalking people on social media and getting to know every detail about every little thing from their history. Every soccer Um, tournament they won when they were in seventh grade. (laughs) All the relevant information. Exactly, which again is tapping into something that is so natural, but... I think a good thing to set forward from here is that, yes, that is an aspect of our reflection of the image of God. Genesis 127 says that we were made in the image of God. God is a relational being and we are relational beings. So I think it makes sense that we want to um, be connected with people. Connected and to know about them. Definitely. Yeah. Another thing that we really value is wanting to maintain relationships. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon talks about how God's put eternity into our hearts. And what I think is really interesting, social media allows us to, in some way, keep forever relationships with people that we wouldn't have been in relationship with forever. And so it's kind of this approach to being limitless in our relational capacity. Mm. So our second thing that we've observed in our own worlds regarding social media is that there is a growing cultural understanding of how our lives should be lived. Mm. So as a college student with social media, I notice that people go to college, they graduate college, maybe they get married, and maybe they move away. And so that has informed my understanding of what's coming next in my life. And in a way that I honestly hadn't really 
understood in a more meta way until I talked with you, Hanine, about it. Yeah. I think it was interesting for me because from my experience in not having social media, it was odd for me to actually come to the realization that a lot of people get their understanding of what a life should look like from social media. And I think that I didn't even really know where that was coming from. I would hear sentiments of what people assumed a life should look like. And I think was always kind of curious on where they were getting that from. Yeah. And then and then at one point realized like, oh, that is so heavily informed by social media and by social media influencers and, totally. um, and just what people see from others' lives on display. When I heard you say that, I was pretty jarred because I had no idea that people existed without having that influence. (laughs) Like I was like, what do you mean you don't have that understanding that you're subconsciously expecting events to happen in your life because you see so many people posting consistent events that you're just assuming are kind of predictable for your next step. Yeah. Along with that, I think is sort of this subconscious belief that we have the ability to control the outcome of our lives and of our relationships a lot more than we actually can. Mm. And I think that um, social media gives us this illusion that, that we have the control to do that. In that sense, we are somehow infinite, but we actually are not. And that truly is an illusion. Yeah, totally. The third thing that we've observed is that a larger part of our generation has this growing inability to sit with uncomfortability. So a practical example that actually affects my life is this. I'm getting ready for midterms next week. And when I'm studying for the exams that I have, I look on my professor's syllabus and I look at the study guide. And subconsciously, I hope that they release a really detailed study guide so that I can know almost every single question they're going to ask me. I want to prepare for it. I want to know if I know it or if I don't and what I need to study. I dread when I find a study guide that has two really abstract questions, such as know this concept and know this concept, because that means that I really have to break apart those larger abstract ideas. I can't devise a Quizlet to study like 40 different questions, but I have to know something at a deeper level. And so while I love to do that in other parts of my life, honestly, my lack of desire to do that in my schoolwork kind of shows me how, in a way, I feel like I've been programmed to want information fast, to want information almost Kahoot level speed, (laughs) that it takes 10 seconds to answer a question or I can Google something and immediately know the answer. There is honestly just a rising tendency of not being able to sit in uncomfortability, not being able to take a huge abstract thought and break it down into smaller areas that we can actually go out and tackle. So now we just want to ask this question, how is the social dilemma um, God's grace towards us? Exactly. And so something that we're unpacking is that this documentary shows us that humans are finite. We don't have the ability to know thousands of people, hundreds of people, however many people are following you on a deep, soulful level. If you're to ask just a normal person how many close friends they have, I'd say the majority of them would not say they have about 100 or 200 really soul deep close friends. Mm. Social media kind of creates this allure that You can maintain friendships. You can be deep with a lot of people and super authentic. And honestly, that's not really true. What's really special about this is that Jesus himself had limits. He had boundaries. When he was tired, he went away to pray with his father. 
He was hungry. He needed to sleep. From Jesus, we learn that he leaned into his finite nature. And in so doing, he relied more on the Father. Mm-hmm. And I think that as God's grace in showing us our finiteness, we can see his infinite nature so much more clearly. Yeah. And so I think ultimately what the social dilemma does is it teaches us to see ourselves more accurately in terms of reality, that we are finite beings. We need God. He is infinite and we are wholly dependent on him truly at all times. So lastly, we just wanted to ask How do we practically respond? We've outlined the cultural artifact. We've outlined how we see God's grace through this. But what are we practically doing now to interact with this information in our lives in a way that makes a practical difference? Yeah. From here, we want to encourage you guys to ask yourselves some pretty deep questions around your engagement with social media. Lauren, personally for you, what do you think you want to implement? Yeah. So as I watched this film, I kind of realized... I need to take a longer break from social media than just a three-week spontaneous fast and then a dive back into looking at it again because I was sad or something like that. (laughs) So after watching The Social Dilemma, I decided to fast from my Instagram account until 2021 with the exception of posting about this podcast (laughs) at one point. Um, And during that time, I'm just doing a lot of praying because essentially – I like social media. Like I mentioned, I like staying in touch with people. I like those photos, but I recognize that I do have an addictive tendency with it. And so I'm just praying that in one way or the other, I can say that I am wholeheartedly confident that I'm using social media, that when I open my app, I'm doing such a good thing. Or if I'm not using social media, that also is such a good thing. I don't want to be on this neutral ground pretending like it doesn't affect me as much Mm -hmm. as it really does. Yeah, I just want to move forward with my life knowing that if I decide to use social media, I really decided that and I'm going to stick with that decision. And if I haven't decided to use it, I'm not going to waffle back and forth. Hmm. Yeah. Another really practical tip for you guys is to download a search engine such as Quant, that's Q-U-A-N-T, and that will not track your data on there so it cannot be sold to advertisers. Exactly. So if you have social media, I would just encourage you to ask yourself a couple questions. Do you like it? How often do you use it? If someone were to ask you to get rid of it, what would your reaction be? So while you're using, you're a conscious user. (laughs) As Socrates says, the unexamined life is not worth living. Catch us next Saturday for our next episode. And thanks for tuning in. never been stranger. Things are gonna stay strange I, 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 I remember life as a stranger